This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Hello and welcome to our online service today. So glad you could join us. I'm Garth Lino, one of the pastors on staff here at The Gathering. Today we're actually starting a new teaching series in the book of Romans. We're parachuting into Romans 12 through 16, which is actually the most practical section of this letter by the Apostle Paul. The first 11 chapters deal almost exclusively with our vertical relationship with God. And this is also where Paul introduces many critical doctrines to us. He talks about God's wrath and God's righteousness and God's judgment. He examines uh, our depravity before a holy God, our justification by faith, and then talks about peace with God. He explores the relationship between grace and law, life in the spirit, and sanctification. He introduces some difficult teaching on election and predestination, and then comforts us with verses like Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the first 11 chapters deal almost exclusively with our vertical relationship with, with God. Chapter 12 begins the so what, the practical outworking of all that uh, great theology in the first 11 chapters. In chapter 12 then, Paul begins to balance the, the vertical with the horizontal, the doctrinal with the relational. And as we turn to the first eight verses of Romans chapter 12, we see the urgency of a new commitment and a new mindset. As a consequence or result of all of the teaching, the deep theological teaching in the first 11 chapters of Romans, both our heart and our mind should be changed, transformed by the Word of God, transformed by the Spirit of God. And so, first of all, let's examine this new commitment, this new commitment. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I believe the word, therefore, in verse 1, indicates that Paul is is now going to build on what he's been teaching for the last 11 chapters. The basis for this commitment that Paul is calling us to is the mercies of God. I think Paul is referring to the mercies of God as spelled out in the preceding chapters. God's mercy to the terribly fallen human race through the provision of his one and only son, Jesus. Radically sinful man was radically lost. God provided a radical righteousness through the radical person and radical work of Jesus Christ, his son, who made a radical new life of faith possible for us. In view of this mercy, God calls us to a a greater, deeper, sacrificial commitment. And the character of this new commitment is given in the last half of the verse to present or to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this commitment that we make to God has, has really has two, uh, 
prominent characteristics. It, it's, it's both total and reasonable commitment. When Paul urges you and me to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, he's technically not talking about the skin and bones body. He's talking about all that we are, body, soul, and spirit, appetites, affections, desires, all of that, total commitment, that, all of that should be offered to God. Furthermore, the character of this commitment is also reasonable. I like the way the King James Version uh, translates Romans 12.1. To present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. There's that word. Offering ourselves to God totally is absolutely reasonable and undeniably logical because it's consistent with the proper understanding of the gospel of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In other words, when you know who Jesus is, and you know what Jesus has done, and you know how much Jesus loves you, it's absolutely reasonable for you to sell out to him 100%. Total commitment is the only rational course to take when you really see who God is. It's the only logical way. Nothing else makes sense than to sell out 100% in this new commitment, be totally committed to God. Let's turn now and look at the demands of this new commitment in the first part of verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul writes, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't be conformed to the schemes of this temporary evil age, he says. So we, we, we cannot write off history and we, we really can't cancel culture. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. We must not be shaped by the world, but rather by the word. We live not according to the spirit of the age, but according to the spirit of God. We must think critically. We must think wisely. We must be careful what we read and what we watch and where we go. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, Paul says. Instead, be transformed, be radically changed by the word of God, the power of God, by the renewing of your mind. Let your mind be totally renewed and refreshed by the word of God and the spirit of God. And this is a process. Transformation takes time. It doesn't happen instantaneously, all at once, when you go forward at, at family camp and kneel at the altar. It, it's not a once and for all thing. It's a process. Transformation takes time. You need to open your heart and mind to whatever it is that God has for you. But be patient. What is the effect of this kind of radical, reasonable, logical commitment to God? Well, Romans 12, 2 tells us that you will be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? <laughs> you sell out to Jesus 100%, and from that point on, you're able to, to discern the will of God? That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. A committed life has the power to perceive the will of God. A committed life has the power to perceive the will of God. 
I, I don't want us to miss this, so say it out loud with me, even where you are right now, at home or, or sitting in your car. A committed life has the power to perceive the will of God. The man or woman who's fully committed to God sees life with a positive eye and a confident eye. They begin to see things in the spiritual world that other people don't. While the careless and drifting Christians are in confusion, the fully committed Christian knows the will of God. He's able, she's able to perceive it, to, to understand what God is, is asking. And he or she finds the will of God to be good, acceptable, and perfect, Paul says. Even, even if the will of God is hard, even when the will of God includes pain and suffering, it's still good. It's still perfect. Because it is the will of God Almighty. Nothing but total commitment of our lives to God makes any sense. Friends, he holds the universe together by the power of his word. And not only that, if, and if that's not enough, he, he's also given us his mercies through his son whom he's given to us. Praise God. David Brooks is the author of The Social Animal, and in that book, he discusses why some musicians and athletes excel and others don't. Research reveals that the common denominator is long-term commitment. Long-term commitment. Author explains, in 1997, Gary McPherson studied 157 randomly selected children as they picked out and learned a musical instrument. Some went on to become fine musicians and some faltered. McPherson searched for the traits that separated those who progressed uh, from those who did not. IQ was not a good predictor. Neither were auditory sensitivity, math skills, or income, or sense of rhythm. The best single predictor was a question that McPherson asked the students even before they picked out their instrument. He would ask them this question. How long do you think you will play? How long do you think you'll play this instrument? The students who planned to play for a short time did not become very proficient at all. <laughs> the students who planned to play for a few years had moderate success, but there were some children who said, in effect, this is what I was born to do. I'm going to be a musician. I will play this instrument for the rest of my life. Those students soared. Friends, listen. Total commitment to God makes sense. And it's the only way to really live the Christian life. Total, radical, complete commitment to God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and, and, and proper worship. This, my friends, is your new commitment. That's what he's talking about. So the Apostle Paul now turns from the elements of this new commitment to discuss the essentials of a new mindset, a new way of thinking in verses 3 through 8. So now that we've been touched by the grace of God, now that we've entered into this new commitment, how are we supposed to think? <laughs> we've committed our lives afresh to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've sold out to Him 100%. We really believe that total commitment to God is the only logical and reasonable way to live, then how are we supposed to think about this life from day to day? 
If we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, what's that supposed to look like? Well, Paul answers that question in verses 3 through 8. And he begins by saying that you need to think rightly about yourself. Verse 3, Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think is, is a universal tendency of the human race, thanks to the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Our fallen human nature loves to overthink itself. So think about yourself with sober judgment, Paul says. Think about yourself realistically and, and with, with good judgment. Instead of super thought, there should be sober thought about yourself. And by the way, this kind of self-evaluation is not done according to my ever-changing emotions and, and subjective feelings, but rather according to my relationship with Jesus. That's much more steadfast and sure. When you see Jesus and know Jesus and love Jesus, then you'll think about yourself the way you're supposed to think about yourself, not more highly, not with pride and, 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 and self-envy, but rather you'll be able to think about yourself with restrained, thoughtful judgment. And all of that comes out of this relationship with Jesus that is generated by and energized by and maintained by the grace of God and not your good works. Furthermore, we ought to think rightly about other believers. And here the Apostle Paul is a master illustrator giving us a, a wonderfully mystical conception based on human anatomy. Romans 12, 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So this is not an illustration which serves only to suggest that we should try to live closely together as a close, in a close-knit manner and love one another. It, it describes the reality that all of us are part of the body of Christ if we trust him for our salvation. We share the same spiritual nature. We share the same Savior. We share the same salvation. You see, We're, So there's unity. There's one body. But there's also diversity. We don't all have the same function. And that's a good thing. God's glory is revealed in the diversity of his church. Additionally, in the midst of this diversity, we enjoy mutuality. We are individually members one of another. And 1 Corinthians 12 beautifully illustrates this mutuality by pointing out that Whenever one among us rejoices, we all rejoice. And if one of us is hurting, everyone hurts. That's mutuality. In 2018, Science Magazine carried an article about spider webs. Apparently, a, spider, a single strand of spider silk is thinner than a human hair, but five times stronger than a strand of steel the same width. A spider silk rope, just two inches thick, can apparently stop a Boeing 747 
On its own, it could do very little, but bound together with other strands in a rope, it has awesome strength. Folks, this is a picture of the church. On our own, we're weak and vulnerable. We can't do much, but standing together with other brothers and sisters with our arms linked, we can impact the world for Jesus Christ. So let's do it. The church is no place for, for lone rangers. The church is no place for lone rangers. That's why we encourage people to hang out together at our church on Saturday nights after the service or Sunday morning after the service. Hang out, enjoy a cup of coffee and fellowship together. Uh, celebrate unity, diversity, and mutuality. That's why we encourage people to get involved in a life group. So they can study the Bible together and pray and fellowship and care for one another. Celebrating unity, diversity, and mutuality. That's why we keep recruiting people to do little jobs, odd jobs, big jobs here at the church. Uh, to serve, as, uh, serve in the sound booth and ushers and greeters and kids gathering teachers and so on and so forth. So that we can celebrate the unity, diversity, and mutuality that God has given us in the church. There's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right and, and exercising unity, diversity, and mutuality. There's absolutely no limit to what God can do in our church and through our church if we are uh, thinking rightly about ourselves and if we're thinking rightly about other believers. There's no limit to what God can do. We also need to think rightly about our gifts then we'll be able to think uh, rightly about the spiritual gifts that God has given to the church. Have a look at verses 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So in, <laughs> in thinking rightly about our gifts, we, we, we must remember, first of all, that we, we all have one. Uh, no follower of Jesus is left out of the gift department. Now, you may not have one of the gifts mentioned here in Romans chapter 12, but every believer, every believer has at least one spiritual gift, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter 4 all contain lists, spiritual, uh, uh, sorry, lists of spiritual gifts. And the Bible is very clear. Every true, every genuine believer in Jesus Christ has at least one spiritual gift given to them for the good of the church, for the common good, for the building up and edification of the church. Notice how Paul speaks about the gifts here in Romans 12, 6, he says, without fanfare and without exaggeration, let us use them. Let's use these gifts, he says. Let us use them. Four very powerful words. Mrs. Driver thought that she had a music gift. She said, one day I was playing the piano, uh, playing Christmas carols on the piano for my four-year-old great-granddaughter, Natalie. And when I played Away in the Manger... I thought she might enjoy the words to the song too, so I began to sing as I played. And after just a few bars, she put her hand on my arm and said, just let the piano sing it, Grandma. <laughs> just let the piano sing it. Your, your, your voice doesn't sound very good. 
So we don't always have the gift that we think we have, and we don't always have the gift that we would like to have. We need to think rightly about our spiritual gifts. So your spiritual gift is not any more or less important than any other spiritual gift. We need your gift. Your spiritual gift was given to you for the good of the church, so we need your gift. Your spiritual gift is empowered by the Holy Spirit and not your own charisma or your own personality. And we need the use of your gift in our church. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that God has given us, let us use them, Paul says. Let's use them. We need to use these gifts, not let them sit on the shelf and and collect dust. So if you have the gift of preaching, then preach. If you have the gift of teaching, then teach. If you have the gift of service, then serve. If you have the gift of giving, then give. If you have the gift of, of, of leading, then lead. Let's use the gifts that God has chosen to give to the church for the common good, for the building up and edification of the church so that we can grow a strong church and we can keep planting churches uh, as God permits us to do so. There will be plenty of opportunities here at the gathering for you to use your gifts this fall as we continue to ramp up and uh, regain a foothold in our ministry after COVID. We really do need you. The first 11 chapters of Romans deal almost exclusively with the vertical relationship that we have with God. Romans 1 to 11 is where Paul introduces us to some pretty deep theology. Those chapters are just chock full of very important doctrines. But in chapter 12 then, Paul begins to balance the the vertical and the horizontal, the, the doctrinal with the relational. And as I said earlier in these first eight verses of Romans chapter 12, we see the urgency of a new commitment and a new mindset for the glory of God. Will you then take the next step in a deeper commitment to Jesus? Whatever that step may be, and perhaps you have some sense of what God is calling you or asking you to do as a result of this message today. Will you take the next step in your commitment to him? That will look different and feel different for all of us. But I do believe that God is calling all of us to a a fresh surrender to his good and perfect will. And if we say yes today, then God will show us the next step, step by step by step. Little by little, he'll show us his plan. That might be salvation. That next step might be salvation. You may be listening at home. You may be watching our online services from the gathering church here, but you've never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the day. Maybe that's the next step for you. Or maybe the next step is water baptism or teaching a class or leading a a life group. It might be partnership or membership here at, at the gathering church. It might be more time in prayer. But what's the next step for you? and your commitment to Jesus Christ. This new commitment that you make today and the new mindset that you develop over time will bring about good changes in your life, I'm sure of that. But even more important, it will bring glory and honor to God in the name of Jesus. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves to God. Offer yourselves to God. All that you are, all that you have, all that you ever hope to be, 
lay it all on the altar for the sake of the kingdom. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice and do it today. Don't delay. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, today, just like every day, somebody or something will attempt to seize the the passion and preoccupation of our hearts. The enemy himself will try to steal away the seeds of new commitment and a new mindset that have been sown today by your spirit. Someone or something will try to be the boss of us, the ruler of the mansion, the fascination of our imagination. I don't know what that could be or what that might be for my brothers and sisters listening today. But for me, it's, it's usually bitterness or pettiness. It could be shame from the past or fear of the future. It could be overbearing people or aggravating neighbors. My greed to have a little more, my need to be criticized less. The lusts of my flesh or the longings of my heart. Old regrets or new fantasies. Lord, any number of things threaten to pull my heart and my mind away from you. Any number of things will clamor for the best of me, for the best of us. And so, Lord, right now, in, in, in submission to your word, we offer ourselves to you once again, Lord Jesus. We want to move beyond just holy intentions and really let our lives be spent on you. We long for the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit to be evident in our lives so that others will be drawn to the beauty and majesty and wonder and glory of the gospel. No more compromise, Lord Jesus. Please, if it's all or nothing, let it be all. Let it be all for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.